Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. Be, it's okay to be enthusiastic. You don't have to be cynical. Love what you love unabashedly and be enthusiastic and be earnest. And I feel like these are a lot of things society tells us isn't cool. And I'm just like, no, it is the coolest thing in the world to be passionate about something and want to tell people about it. Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Remember, if you're a fan of Pixel Therapy, there are several ways you can help support the show. And the first and most magnanimous of those ways is to come on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod and subscribe for as low as just $2 a month. That'll get you a monthly bonus episode, a cool little album art sticker, and our undying love and appreciation, <laughs> which is the most important. <laughs> if oh my patron- God. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Spencer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just was like, oh, while she's talking, I should look at the at the dashboard because I haven't looked at that for a while where, where we see our downloads and we just passed 40,000 downloads, which I think oh, is pretty exciting. That's um, very exciting. So wow. like, thank you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you for that very happy interruption. <laughs> I'm so bad. At, I just get better at interrupting you smoothly. <laughs> yeah. I always just feel startled. Um, yeah. But that's very exciting. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for getting us Thank to those you. 40k holy cow yeah that's your work not ours <laughs> dang uh thank you thank you um if i can hop back into my rigmarole real quick here i will just say that uh if patreon's not in the cards for you that is okay um you can also just keep downloading our episodes mm-hmm. Woo-hoo, getting us to that 40k and beyond milestones um, <laughs> or you can rate us and review us on apple podcasts uh, or your podcast platform of choice because that sort of thing does have a real impact and if we like what you write we may just read it on the show sometime all right folks it's time to get cozy pull up your armchair feel free to lie down on your couch let's talk about our feelings spencer how are you Jamie, it's the the dog days of summer, and <laughs> I the allergies have been bleak. So if yeah. we're coughing and sneezing on this episode, we apologize. Um, we both <laughs> recently kind of moved to new locales, and I think yeah. the change in pollen is forking us up a little bit. Yeah, I Meal feel like I've got a, somebody dumped a mag trick of phlegm into my sinus passages. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not even just me. I I had to take Naomi, my my cat, to the vet oh, the no. other day because her eyes and her ears are like so red and like she could barely open her eyes. She's doing a lot better now, but we're all just kind of like hit with the with allergies. Um, oh my god! My latest obsession is monitoring the level of humidity in my house. I feel like I'm I I'm. Uh, having these like new homeowner obsessions like week to week like one week it's the like is the air coming in through the windows and disrupting (laughs) our energy usage things i've never thought about or cared about before oh yeah and now gotta seal up those cracks humidity yeah 
Um, you get sick more if it's more humid and it can make your allergies worse and it can make your house crumble apart and fall <laughs> into moldy dust, <laughs> at least in my stress wow. nightmares. So yeah, house literally crumbling around you. <laughs> yeah. Just, um, listen, if anyone cares to know an appropriate humidity level level in your house is around 35%. So get out there, get those humidity monitors. That's oh your God. homeowner tip for the week. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you for that. Thank you for Spencer's homeowner corner. Yeah. That's great. New segment. Yeah. So with that, um, what about you, Jamie? How are you? Uh, I'm uh, sitting upright, which feels like a major success these days. As a new parent. As a new parent, yes. Uh, so my partner and I... Um, I, the only way to put it is that we lost our damn minds and <laughs> decided to adopt another dog, uh, a puppy of all things. Yay! Uh, yes. Uh, his name is Booker, um, which is sort of named after Booker DeWitt from Bioshock Infinite. Not because nice. I love the character Booker DeWitt. Booker DeWitt's actually kind of a piece of shit, but the name is cool. It's a cool name. You're welcome, Booker the dog. <laughs> You're welcome, Booker the dog. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my my partner liked it as the name, and yeah. it does seem to suit him. And he yeah. does love to book it across the yard. Aww. So we say he's it, so it, cute. He's he's a very cute puppy, and it's probably the only reason that he is still in our home. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, we were just we just weren't expecting to get a dog so fast. We started the application process kind of thinking it would take us about a month, like it did with our first dog. Um, it's partially and- my fault for my glowing <laughs> reference. Yes, this lady yes. called me at eight a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were they were hot to trot. They were ready she to was get like, rid of this dog. Are Jimmy and Colt good dog owners? <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Mm. Yeah, Spencer said very nice things and we do love our dogs a lot Uh, I just didn't think we were going to have another dog until probably early September when my work would have been blessedly starting to calm down a tiny bit Um, but hey you know it's both a blessing and a curse Uh, work is very stressful it's really nice to look over and just see this cute little boy just laying here sleeping and when he wakes up and he sees me wags his tail so hard and gets all excited and that's all very adorable Um, paint us a visual picture of what he looks like (laughs) he is a uh, hound cur mix so he's he's mostly he's got like a dark brindle coloring over most of his body uh he's got the the big flappy hound dog ears yeah um this little narrow nose and very beady little dark eyes mm. um but it in in conjunction with the brindle his his chest and legs are kind of like a whitish gray color with black speckles mm. so it's a really cool coloring mix um and his face is mostly black so I also just want to mention that Jamie brought Booker over to my house uh, like last weekend and he barked at everyone except for me. We became instant besties and he yeah. fell asleep in my arms. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> he's he's a pretty selective little boy, which is funny because <laughs> our other dog, Tess, has like never known a stranger in her yeah. life. She is a complete like confident, like strong headed woman. Yeah. And she goes out and greets everyone with the same enthusiasm and no fear of mm-hmm. anything in the world. And Booker is 
far more hesitant, far more picky. Um, it's, uh, I don't know if my partner finds it cute, but every day when my partner comes home from work, Booker forgets that he exists as a person <laughs> and barks at him in terror until Colt like leans down and Booker can smell him. And then he's like, Oh, I remember you. You're the person that I know. You yeah. were just gone for eight hours. <laughs> and I forgot about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so it's cute. He's adorable, but he is a puppy. And, um, he just, when he's not sleeping, he needs a lot of attention hmm. and, it's just a lot. We're just tired. Totally. But it's a good kind of tired. Ah, new new family life. <laughs> yeah, new family life. But what's going on in video games? Let's talk about the important shit. Yeah, the important shit. What um, are you playing? Oh my god. So basically two days ago, Boyfriend Dungeon came out. Um, and for folks who are not familiar, um, Boyfriend Dungeon is a dungeon crawler dating sim it's an indie game developed and published by kit fox games it actually had a kickstarter launch in august of 2018 um you plunder uh these what they're they're called dun like like they'll say like let's hit the dunge um and it's this it's set in this world where um people go to these dungeons as a form of like fitness uh exercise um and you like you fight monsters that are sort of these personifications of of your of your innermost fears, um, and the best part is that the weapons you take into the dungeon, um, you can date them. Um, you <laughs> woo your weapons in this really flirty, playful, and welcoming world. Um, you explore these procedurally generated dungeons, um, and it has this real like summer fling energy. Um, it's set in. Verona Beach, California. Um, if that name sounds familiar, it's also the fictional California setting of Baz Luhrmann's 1996 Romeo and Juliet, starring Leo oh my God, really? and Claire Danes. Yeah, I did not even pick up on that. <laughs> I love that so much. Actually, I yeah. feel like, I, yeah, I feel like that's helping me understand the game better. Please like continue. The energy, like yeah, the, like the camp of the game. Yeah, it, yeah, yes. There is like a. This is not a. It's not realistic in any version no. of. I mean, I don't know. There might be some real emotions, but mostly it's very. Anyway, please continue. Yeah. So Verona Beach has experienced this phenomenon where there are people who are able to turn into swords uh, or weapons. There's axe people. There's sword people. There's um. A, <laughs> this is the best part. And I, I mean, maybe perhaps light spoiler, but not really because they're in the they're in the images for the press images for the game. But one of the boyfriends is a cat. <laughs> that oh, you fuck, can really? Yeah, <laughs> oh, I was literally screaming. Like you meet this cat uh, out in the wild, and um, the, it's the the weapon is essentially these brass knuckles that have um, claws on the end. Uh, and it turns into a cat. And then all of a sudden you start getting texts. Uh, so a big part of it is you're fighting in the dungeons and then your downtime, you're going on dates, texting your your new weapon friends and sort of just exploring this, this world. Um, and this number texts you and it's like, hey, my cat uh, came home with your number attached to his collar. Like, uh, do you want to hang out with him again? I'll just let him out next time you want to hang out with him. And so you basically text this guy and are like, let your cat out. And then you and the cat go in the dungeons together. <laughs> oh my God. That's absolutely amazing. This is the fact that 
one of your romanceable options is a cat is just so queer and so me that I'm I immediately appreciated it so much. I'm like still yeah, screaming I love about that. it. I love um, that. Yeah, it's. Have you started playing it yet? I know. I remember when I texted you that it came out. You were like, "That's out today!" Oh my god! Everything. <laughs> Did you play it yet? I've played like. Less than two hours, but I have played yeah. a little bit of it. Um, it's on it's on Game Pass, oh, which awesome. is like the new way that I get all of my video games. I um, Xbox like yesterday. Yeah, everybody does. I <laughs> honestly, if you're into games and you want to get a lot of good indie games cheap, uh, Xbox is where it's at right now. They every week it seems they've got some new cool indie game dropping on Game Pass. But anyway, yeah, it was on Game Pass. I was like, I'm definitely checking this out either way. But I'd had my eyes on Boyfriend Dungeon since I saw a trailer for it. Ooh, maybe a year ago. Mm. Got to be close to a year ago now. They had yeah. a trailer. It might have been at like a nintendo indie world showcase or something like that but yeah. yeah uh i did i have played a couple hours of it i am really enjoying it so far but it definitely yeah that's what i was kind of trying to put my finger on before it's got a tone to it mm-hmm. that is very yeah camp i think is probably the right word it's just very um silly yeah it's very and not light. very it's not like you're not building a consistent character in this world or I don't know, like, I don't, there might be moments in the relationships that feel meaningful, but I think Mm -hmm. overall it's kind of like, oh, you're hot and funny, like, and you're a good weapon, so I'm going (laughs) to keep talking and hanging out with you. But that's kind of all, I mean, again, only like an hour and a half in, so maybe it gets deeper as you go in. Yeah, like, I I definitely feel like, I mean, it's definitely a hedonistic game. Like, I think it really leans into this idea of, like, Hey, pandemic summer, post-pandemic summer, we're going to date it up. We're going to hook it up. We're going to have fun. Um, Like it really encourages you to lean into like, if you like someone, go for it. Um, There aren't a lot of, I I really enjoy the way it sort of, I don't know, there's something, there's something very queer about it other than people turning into weapons and the sort of innuendo there. Yeah. um, And the fact that um, like, I think your character gives off a ton of top energy. Like a lot of the um, (laughs) conversations are through texting and Uh it's like, people will send you like walls of text. Like, Oh, I enjoyed hanging out with you so much. I can't wait to see you again. Like, will you meet me here? And then your answers are like, Yup, or like a thumbs up emoji. Like there's so much, like, I just thought there's so much like queer subtext. Um, Yeah. And this just the kind of um, really poly friendly, um, like, like, uh, for so just to back up a little bit, like your character is someone who has historically struggled a lot with self-expression or they don't really know themselves. Um, they are shy and kind of withdrawn. They come to Verona Beach for the summer um, to live with their queer cousin. Um, and the cousin is like, Hey, while you're here, let me set up some dates for you. Let me introduce you to some folks. Um, I have a lot of friends around the area. All of that is so queer. Just the idea that you go to a city for the summer and like, sow your wild oats and figure out who you are. Uh, like, I just, I don't know. I can relate to that a lot. And it's being on your own for maybe the first time and sort of exploring your sexuality or dating different people and figuring out like what you like. Um, there's something like really pure and flirty and fun about it. Um, it is very light. Like, I feel like even though there is a storyline that kind of, um, 
emerges uh, as you're as you're advancing your relationships, and there's this sort of um, you know gathering force that you have to defeat. Um, there's no real risk. Like I never felt like I was worried that one of the characters was going to die, or that if I had made the wrong dialogue option, that I'd never be able to reconcile. Um, like there was just this really lighthearted energy that made it really fun to play. Um, I think something else about the game is that it's just felt so horny. Like, yeah. Okay, hold on. Let me pick up my like switch. Like, really horny. Like, it is, like, I was kind of fanning myself a little <laughs> bit at some junctures. And, and things move quickly. Like I said, I've played yes. two hours of the game and I've already banged somebody and yeah. been, like, propositioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Summer of love out here in Verona yeah, Beach. Yeah, it so, moves quick. <laughs> I'm literally texting with a sword person and he's like, um, he's like, my sword is extra sharp today. And you're like, tell me more. And he says, it's like my edge is scraped against your whetstone until it's keen, aching, ready to part flesh. And then you can say, show me or TMI. So I said, show me, obviously. Yeah. And then he sends you a picture of himself <laughs> as the sword on oh a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, it's a picture yeah. of a sword on a blanket. People, yep. you have to play this freaking game. <laughs> um, I will say um, one of my, so one thing, as I said, I, I love the game for how queer coded it is. It's so, and it, and it has that kind of, um, like if you've played Bastion or, or even Hades, like it has a pretty, pretty satisfying combat system where, um, almost kind of, it also kind of reminds me of Persona 5, the way time progresses. Um, it's like every time you go into a dungeon, um, if you go into the dungeon, time will move forward and it'll progress to the next day. Um, but until then, like if you want to socialize, um, shop, explore the city, you can do that for as long as you want. Um, so I immediately felt like pretty at home playing this game. Like it felt both, both familiar and fresh. I, I really liked, um, I don't know, I haven't really, I've, been getting more and more into visual novels like i lately played mm. um doki doki literature club um i played dark gray a couple months ago um i've been playing some other like visual novelty games here and there um but i just felt like this was the most i didn't feel like i had to look for the queer representation or the mm. kind of uh poly or i don't know what even the word is just the kind of like it felt authentic in a way that I wasn't used to. Um, yeah. With that in mind, I did have some light, um, <laughs> some light critiques. Oh boy, let's hear it. <laughs> well, it's just you know I think. Um, well, first of all, there's only one romanceable girlfriend. Um, and oh, really? In the ent- entire game? Yeah. Um, did you beat it? I did. I did. Okay. This morning. Yeah. I was feverishly playing into the night and then Dang. woke up this morning at like seven and I was like, I have to figure out what happens with Isaac. My sexy, How long? sexy. <laughs> I, okay. Sword. So Isaac is like my favorite so far. His Only voice really does it in. for me. Yeah. He's got a good voice. He's also so romantic. I don't know. He really wooed me. Anyway. Um, he seems very down to earth. Yeah. A, a, a lot of the characters are very, um, just, you know, they're, extreme versions of they are types like i feel like they are types that you have probably met or know someone who in my case know someone who dated Mm -hmm, (laughs) um mm -hmm. but yeah he seems like 
Well, I guess, yeah, he seems the most down to earth. He seems most like the type I'm most interested in. Just yeah. like kind, generous, straightforward. Absolutely. Um, maybe but, a square. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe a square, but you can kind of help him come out of his sheath a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I, okay, so there's one girlfriend and then there's two non-binary people and a cat. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a cat. And a cat. <laughs> Just throw that out there. And it was cool. I mean, so I, uh, I my character is non-binary too. So I use they, them pronouns and it was cool. There's two non-binary characters in the game that y- you can romance uh, one is named Sawyer and one is named Rowan, which right away is like so, so trans mask. But that's the <laughs> thing is that I felt like the two non-binary characters were very much coded as like trans masculine, androgynous, skinny uh, mm. people. Mm. Uh, Sawyer is this total like ooh tender queer college student like they're like mm. oh i'm late for class oh i made breakfast here's a picture of my breakfast i'm so clumsy and silly and random mm-hmm. and then the other non-binary person is rowan who's a literal witch <laughs> with like a raven on their shoulder oh wow <laughs> i mean rowan's pretty hot i'm about it but i just i think that there's something to be said for it it feels like in main in the mainstream depiction of what a non-binary person is, it mm. very much trends to this idea of like a sweet and gentle and childish, androgynous, mm. kind of sexless, um, softened, rounded version of like mm. there's so many ways to be non-binary. Yeah. Um, and we kind of just see it one primary version of that. Yeah. And, and and I was like, wow, two non-binary characters. I thought I would maybe see a little bit more variance in the types yeah. of non-binaryness that we explore, especially because the boyfriends in the game are so sexy and they're so um like romantic and, and there's things about them that you know, kind of sweep you off your feet. Like I felt very mm-hmm. rude by Valeria, who is the dagger and um, the one uh, woman that you can date. Um, but also stuff about the men, uh, either were intriguing or deep or um, mm-hmm. mysterious in some way um, versus the non-binary characters, which felt more like these magical, like mm. non-binary pixie dream person depictions yeah. of what a non-binary person is. So like, at the same time, there are very much non-binary people who exist who who this I'm sure resonates with. So I'm not trying to say that it's inherently bad. I yeah. just think um, I don't know. It's it's probably just reminiscent of how little non-binary representation we have to begin with. So of course I'm happy that in a dating sim I even have the option to date non-binary characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a cool moment too where I felt like a, with um, my interactions with Sawyer, who's the kind of younger college student age um character like when we first met they texted me and were like oh it's so cool to meet another non-binary person like can i buy you coffee like i love this coffee shop like let's meet up there and like a lot of that felt very authentic like i've yeah. definitely had interactions yeah. just like that with other like yep. trans guys um but it's also like <sighs> i don't know where are the trans women or the like non-binary mm. femmes or like, yeah. like, like I just want to see like there's more and I, and I want to see it. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a little like, again, very light critique. If anything, I'm excited to see, you know, what Kit Fox games does next. 
hey, yeah. maybe there's DLC where we get more romanceable swords. Like the game very much encourages you to go on dates with everybody. Like it, yep. it doesn't try to force you to be monogamous. So I'm just, you know, I think it's a great start and I'm excited to see how this opens the doors for more non-binary representation to be out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. But. And they did, uh, I noticed, I saw that, um, I think it was one of the developers of the game uh, put out a tweet saying that uh, the, the, like basically they've already made back the, like the sales have been yes, way in above one and day. beyond. And like in one day. Um, and that's, you know, game, Game Pass, like we don't know all the intricacies of the deals that that studios make on Game Pass, but they're not getting those mm-hmm. aren't game sales. Mm-hmm. So it's like in addition to uh, the the free quote unquote versions that were getting downloaded through Game Pass, they also sold enough games to um, to set them up. Uh, and I think the mm-hmm. tweet said that basically they they had this lump of money and they were looking at trying to figure out like, okay, how many years do we want to be able to live off of this amount of money as a studio? And then how much of it can we give out as bonuses to the folks yeah. who worked on the game? And I just, I just think that's cool. I think it's something that the attention of game pass helps give the fact mm-hmm. that this got featured in um, the Nintendo indie world showcase this week and was released the same day, mm-hmm. gave it a lot of buzz. Um, so they'll get to make another game and hopefully that one will take more steps in the in this direction absolutely yeah tanya short um is the lead developer of kit fox games and she tweeted yesterday we sold as many copies of boyfriend dungeon in one day as we did in the first week of moon hunters in 2016 which is a previous game they made Mm -hmm. plus we didn't take any outside funding for it so it's all for kit fox baby really happy for them it's awesome it's really really cool boyfriend dungeon i think it's Short, sweet, and to the point. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> it's a real balm, a real great, like, end of summer fling. Um, lots of hot people in here. It's a really inclusive game. Um, I, I love the way, too, it kind of, like, the, the sword people themselves, there's this, there's this um, kind of... <laughs> like, chaser equivalent, where they'll kind of be like, oh, like, if you're someone who's, like, like when you first meet, you can kind of get to know them as a person or you can just kind of be like, so can you turn into a sword or not? Um, and there's this, like people have will ask you like, oh, like do you only date sword people or do you date like quote unquote, like or regular people or wielders as they're called, mm-hmm. people who can wield the swords. And there was something there too that resonated in terms of like, uh, like chasers, like people mm-hmm. who own like kind of um, only date trans people because they're kind of like, obsessed with our bodies um, and not really seeing us for who we are and so I felt like there was something I don't know just really I felt seen in those conversations too of of making the conscious decision to not pick that dialogue option Um, and also if you do the fact that I, I picked one experimentally and and someone responded like oh I didn't realize you were obsessed with like such a the body binary of like being uh, a sword person or a non-sword person. And, um, you know, I, I, I like that making people think yeah. a little bit about how they're approaching these relationships. I thought that was a mm-hmm. nice touch. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, boyfriend dungeon, pick it up, 
pick it up today <laughs> and get ready to take a cold shower. <laughs> but uh, Jamie, you played something wildly different uh, I did. these past couple of weeks. So tell me about you. What have you been playing? Yeah, so I played and completed this game called The Forgotten City as mm. released a few weeks ago in July on PS4, PS5, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, PC, pretty much everything. Uh, developed by a studio called Modern Storyteller. And if the name The Forgotten City sounds familiar to you at all, um, it might be that you have heard of the Skyrim mod called Forgotten City. Um, yeah. That originally launched in 2015. And uh, this game, The Forgotten City, is actually based on that Skyrim mod. So the original mod, like I said, launched in 2015, was developed by this uh, person, Nick Pierce, It was a quest mod that unlocked a storyline within Skyrim's Forgotten Ruins location uh, in which the Dragonborn, uh, which is the main character of Skyrim, entered a time portal uh, and was like taken back in time seven years and had to solve this mystery of the city's past to find Mm. an exit out. Um, And it ended up being the first mod in history to win a National Writers Guild Award for its script. Uh, and, And it received a ton of like critical acclaim and attention. And all that attention um, actually helped allow Pierce, the person who developed it, to launch Modern Storyteller, the development studio. Mm. And the first game that Modern Storyteller has made, um, you know, fast forward to now, to today, is the game, the full game, The Forgotten City, which is no longer a Skyrim mod, but it still has a lot of the same DNA as that quest mod um, Mm. did. Uh, It's an adaptation slash expansion of that original core concept. So it's not a Skyrim mod anymore. It's not set in the world of Skyrim. Um, but you can definitely still see the Skyrim like roots in mm. it. It's still a, you know, it's a first person perspective. The um, it's a very like beautiful world, but all of the graphics and stuff, you know, you can tell it's made by a smaller team. I would say mm-hmm. it kind of looks comparable to what Skyrim looks like today to play <laughs> where it's, mm-hmm. it's aesthetically still beautiful. Yeah, it still holds up, but it's it, you can tell it's older. It's a little yeah. janky. Yeah. Um, the way people move in the world doesn't quite look entirely human all of the mm-hmm. time. Characters are a little stiff. Um, when you go up to approach characters to speak with them, they'll turn towards the camera in a way that I would say is very definitive with Skyrim or Fallout. Yeah. They'll turn they'll turn around towards you and then their <laughs> lips are moving, but it's not really like with the words that they're saying. Totally. Um, but the block of text appears on the screen and then you get your choices of what to say back. That all of that feels very Skyrim-esque. Um, but the setting is actually in an old Roman city. Um, And similar to the premise of the mod, you are someone from present day who has stepped through a time portal and ended up in this Roman city called known as the Forgotten City, where Mm. the inhabitants live seemingly uh, in peace and luxury. It seems like it's some level of a utopia. It's all very lush. There's a beautiful waterfall. Everyone um, seems to be getting along. But what you quickly understand is that the inhabitants of the city are living under this... uh, this thing called the golden rule. And Spooky. Yeah. What the golden rule um, is, is uh, this uh, decree that if any one person in the city commits a sin, the entire city will suffer for it. Oh, my God. 
there's literally like at various points in the game this booming voice that will say <gasps> many shall suffer for the sins of the one. Oh my god. And so the people are essentially living in fear of and terror of making any small mistake that might result in the collapse of their entire community. Oh my god. Um what you learn pretty early in the game, uh you know, when you first step through the time portal, you are brought to uh the magistrate of the town and he quickly explains to you that he is the he believes that he has created the time portal because he's been doing research on how to open such a wormhole to try to bring in help from outside because the people that are living in the city are stuck here and there's no way to get out of the city. They're living under this horrible rule and they're afraid (laughs) for their lives basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of the like pleasantness that you see is a little bit of a facade, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but there's a lot of political unrest brewing there's an election coming up and there's someone running against the magistrate who doesn't believe that the golden rule is real. There's a lot of concern that the golden rule is about to be broken uh, from the magistrate. Uh So he had been doing research on how to open a wormhole. And what he believes is that basically the golden rule has been broken in his own future. And he opened this wormhole and you stepped through it. And now you've been pulled into this time loop. Mm. And that does bear to be true. So the way the game plays out, is that you've been tasked by the magistrate to try to figure out who is going to break the golden rule Mm. and how can we stop it. He believes that in order for you to get home, you need to create a paradox in which the portal never needs to be opened because the golden rule is never broken, and therefore you would just magically snap back to your own timeline, right? But if the golden rule is never broken, then aren't all those people trapped forever in this in this <laughs> surreal yeah, so, fake utopia? <laughs> so the magistrate kind of ends up like not being the best dude. And that's not super intense spoilers or anything. Like his goal is really just to keep people alive. Okay. And as as the game progressive, it asks a lot of questions about what does it mean to sin? Like what wow. is like where does your own line of morality fall? What are you willing to do for the sake of keeping everyone else alive? And like the the mantra of do unto others as you would have done to you. Like if you are someone who wouldn't care if someone tried to screw you over, does that make it okay to screw other people over? Uh, you know, where you know, where <clears throat> are those lines? drawn and how do we actually live by moralistic and like who decides mm-hmm. who's the yeah who's the arbiter? who decides what's good and what's bad quote unquote right? yeah so the game like <laughs> actually poses a lot of these questions i think in really interesting ways um but the actual gameplay is essentially like a narrative detective story where mm. you're going around through the world there's like 20 or so people who live in this town And you're going through, you're talking to them, you're learning about their lives, you can ask them all how they came to be in this place um, and get their backstories. And you start to pull at all these different threads, trying to figure out, like, why is everyone here? Who created this place? What is the purpose of this? Um, Also, all around the city, there are these golden statues And they're kind of fucking creepy. (laughs) And sometimes they will whisper at you. And what you very quickly realize is that when you turn away from them, their (gasps) heads turn to follow you. (laughs) And it's really, it's very, very disarming. No, thank you. And at first it like really creeped me out. Um, But as the story progresses, you get a little more used to it. Still kind of creepy. Right? But you get get the sense that. Just get used to constant surveillance. It's fine. Exactly. Right? So like 
you're being surveilled. You're not sure who's surveilling. There's these whispers that are coming from the statues that seem to be trying to help you, help you, but they're telling you things that like they couldn't possibly know or like they shouldn't know. What? Um, sometimes they say things that kind of predict the future. Like there's one moment where you run into this woman and she's like, oh, there's a there's a guy hiding in the bathhouses. I think he's an assassin. Can you like go deal with him? I'm going to go hide in this, um, this old temple over here. That's not mm-hmm. being used. And the voices whisper, no, don't go in the temple. And you can try to tell the woman not to go into the temple, but all you can say is like a voice told me. And so she's like, yeah, I'm going to go in the temple anyway. And she goes in there and it collapses on her. What? And she dies. Bro. So then you don't get golden rule breaking a punishment for letting well, no, her go we, in there. <laughs> well, no, because I didn't know, right? It's all about whether you knew or not and like Dang. doing to others and like who did what. All right. So Spooky. you have to start finding ways to manipulate both time and the people stuck in the time loop to start to solve problems within the game and work your way towards like ending this time loop and solving the ultimate mystery of who put everyone who put everyone in this situation. And it's, I don't know, it, it it's not especially, I didn't think it was especially challenging. Like mm-hmm. usually if you just kind of go around and talk to everyone, the ways to like move things around is going to be pretty apparent pretty quickly. Uh, unless like you only wouldn't see possible solutions if you're just not doing the core thing that the game tells you to do, which is to go around and talk to everyone. Mm-hmm. As long as you're going around and talking to everyone, you're going to find the path that you need to take to various things pretty easily. So it's it's not challenging, but you still feel really smart <laughs> when you figure out how to solve a particular problem, even nice. though it wasn't that hard to solve. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm a fucking genius. I That's just used right. the time loop against itself. And I just like <laughs> manipulated this thing into happening. Yeah. Um, and things do. Uh, so obviously, if you <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot or not an idiot, I'm a dick and i went into the game and the magistrate tells me this whole thing about the golden rule and he's like yeah if anybody sins like everyone's gonna die uh you know so don't don't break any rules go figure mm-hmm. it out and the, literally the first thing i did literally I mean, the first thing i did when he gotta. finished the conversation is i walked over to his chest that was yeah. in the same room that he was yeah. in and i stole all of the gold out of Fuck it yeah and immediately the screen goes gray <laughs> black and white and that booming voice is like many shall suffer for the sins oh, of shit. the one yeah. and everything starts shaking <laughs> and it tells you run back to the time portal Oh fuck! Okay. And so you start running, and yeah. all of, uh, several of the golden statues have come alive and are <gasps> shooting people with bows and arrows and turning them into gold. And you have to run away from them, and it's so scary and stressful. And run back to the time portal and reset the time loop. Whoa! So the golden statues are like angels or something. Like some of them are, and some of them aren't. Uh, but yes, some of oh. them have these golden bows, and they come attack people, and they're like Whoa. eyes light up and. Even for it being Sodom like, and Gomorrah shit. <laughs> yeah, even for it being like kind of um, you know, like the graphics aren't quite there or whatever, yeah. it still like creates a really powerful atmosphere. And there were still moments where I felt like a very heightened, like wow. stressed because I was running from them or scared yeah. that they were gonna like get me as I was running back to the portal. Oh my god. Um, and if they get you and turn to gold, like it does kill you and you have to reload a last save. Like uh-huh. um you don't you can't just the game doesn't have any checkpointing, which I think is one thing that was uh, a little frustrating at times. Mm-hmm. Like if I forgot to save frequently, I mm-hmm. could end up having to go redo a lot of stuff. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. I think if you if you like detective games, uh, if you like solving puzzles, the game has almost no combat in it. And actually, I would say that that is kind of the one weak area of the game is that it does bother to put any combat in it at all. Mm -hmm. Though the section, like the quest line that includes the combat is super interesting. Um, I don't think the game itself really needed the combat. Um, But yeah, most Mm -hmm. of it is going around talking to people, learning what's up with them, and then kind of like manipulating events to try to figure it all out. I think it's got some similar threads to roguelikes mm. it's got some similar threads to something like the outer wilds oh wow where, oh yeah time you know loop. yeah because every time you start the city up again and step out of the wormhole things are back to where they were before and you generally know like okay this person's going to be doing this and this person's going to be doing this um but it does give you ways to uh kind of work around that and so like if in your previous loop you had to do like these four things right away when you came through the time loop to make sure that X, Y, Z would happen, it gives you ways to like employ other people to do those things for you mm-hmm. so that you don't, you're not constantly running around doing the same errands mm-hmm. basically as you work your way through the, through the story. But I think even just as like a straightforward kind of detective mystery, time loopy sort of narrative, it was really interesting and then kind of all of these other moral questions that it folds on top of it um, just really made it an enjoyable game. It made me really think about, <laughs> yeah, like who sets the rules, how we set the rules as a society, mm-hmm. when you how we take care of each other as a community. Mm. I guess, you know, with everything going on with COVID, I found mm-hmm. myself thinking like the idea of like a community of strangers having to be responsible for each other's well-being and safety is like a real situation that we are in Absolutely. right now. And we are by and large failing at it as mm-hmm. a, you know, and, and so the fact that like, I, I think the game really asks the question of like, can humans collectively be responsible for each other mm. in a real way? Do they feel responsible for each other? And will they actually take care of each other and and do the right thing to make sure all of humanity survives? And in kind of a nihilistic way, the game says no (laughs) (laughs) like no we won't someone will always fuck it up true um i mean the game's not wrong so far yeah yeah i just like (laughs) as much as i want to believe that like we can build community and i do still think we can uh Mm. yeah it's hard to believe that it's ever going to work across the board especially like the more and more people you involve in that and the more disparate those people are i mean in this particular town there's people who came from so many different backgrounds and you know there there's some folks who just don't care or they don't believe in the golden rule or they don't you know mm. so how all of these things about belief and um care for each other and how you see yourself in relation to other people how all of that plays into whether or not we're willing to sacrifice a small amount of our own uh that's free will comfort you know to take care of everyone else like Mm -hmm. not everyone's willing to do that unfortunately these people say they don't believe in the golden rule but they're still not they're still acting they're not they're still not breaking it yeah i mean i don't want to get into spoilers but some of the folks who say they don't believe it do 
do eventually break it. Like ah, if you let, damn. if you do nothing and just let the story of the game play out, it will essentially play through a day. And then that evening, the rule will be broken no matter what you do. Oh, I see. Okay. okay yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So you can't, you can't just live there indefinitely. The rule is, is on track to be broken and you have to try to ah. disrupt the things that are going to result in it being broken. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. This is definitely a game. Like, don't judge this game by its cover because no. I certainly <laughs> did. And I was like, this game was boring as fuck. But like, it just has this very like Roman, like it almost looks like, yeah. a, like a clash of King or I, I know lots of people like that game, but like, um, it just doesn't at all seem like what it is. Yeah. No, it, it, the image and stuff for it, it all looks very, yeah. I like mean, a historical yeah, it, visual novel is what it exactly. looks like. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That's what it looks like. That's not, I mean, there is stuff in there that's historical. If you're interested in that kind of stuff and you want to learn more about it, you can have conversations with folks. But uh, yeah, the actual core concept of the game is much more complicated and much more about um, communities of people, how we rely on each other or how that may be impossible. And then like all the morality behind that, whether or not morality is debatable or Mm. (laughs) how we how we set it and decided as a group yeah Mm. so definitely definitely worth uh your time i think uh to get to the ending that the game has several different endings that you can achieve i think i might go back at some point and try to get some of the other endings um but i got the ending that i got it popped a trophy called the called canon so i Mm. think it's like the mm. quote unquote real ending of the game and Good you job. can kind of get other branching <laughs> narrative paths. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I really liked the way it ended. I thought it was really interesting mm. and I think it took like maybe 10 or so hours. So it's not especially a long game, but it has a lot of replayability if you want to go back and keep futzing with yeah. things and seeing different ways that things can play out. So I definitely recommend checking it out. It was a good time. I like the juxtaposition of our two games today because I feel like they both have visual novel qualities. They're both mm-hmm. around 10 hours to play. And I feel like your game was kind of taking that, like those questions of, you know, how do we take care of each other? Is it possible for us to have this utopian society? Like, like can that happen? And, and probably not. Uh, whereas I feel like uh, Boyfriend Dungeon kind of takes this approach of like, what if we lived in a society where people were happy to share and people were not holding on to jealousy or letting their emotions um, rule them? Like, because you're, you're dating all these people and mm-hmm. they all know that you're, that you're dating other people, but there's never like, like there's inner, there's reactions you can have where you express jealousy and the game kind of, kind of asks you to think about like, is this really a problem or are you just jealous and and what are you going to do about your jealousy are you going to are you going to turn it against your partner or are you going to resolve it and grow as a person um mm. and i feel like that like everyone around you is just wants the best for you and for each other they want they want everyone to be happy and so it just feels like there's kind of they're like kind of two sides of the same coin of like yeah. what would it look like if we lived in a queer utopian future <laughs> and also like why do humans suck so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's an interesting uh kind of parallel that you drew there I like Thanks. that a lot. That's why they pay me the big podcast bucks. Oh, yeah, those big <laughs> podcast bucks. Just light in our buckets. We print them out. It says one podcast buck. <laughs> one podcast buck. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, wallpapering the walls with it yeah. in the studio. All right, let's go ahead and transition over to our guest. Our guest for you today 
is a journalist and content writer working at the intersection of technology, space, and pop culture. Yes, that is an intersection that exists. She's the (laughs) co-editor of the book Swordstone Table, Old Legends, New Voices, an anthology of inclusive retellings from the vast lore surrounding King Arthur Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table. And she's the co-host of the Geek Pop News podcast, Desi Geek Girls. Her name is Swapna Krishna, and we had a dynamic conversation covering stuff like the cultural importance of futuristic space stories like Star Trek and Mass Effect, why it's okay to be enthusiastic about the things you love, and why productivity and nostalgic indulgence are not moral opposites, and in fact, they don't need to be moralized at all. We had such a fun and engaging time with Swapna, and I am sure that you all will too. So without further ado, here's our interview with Swapna Krishna. to our wonderful guests for joining us in the virtual pixel therapy studio. Um, To start, can you share your name, your pronouns, and just a little bit about how you spend your time? Yes, I am Swapna Krishna. Pronouns are she, her. And um, I spend my time playing a lot of video games. I know it'll shock everybody who's (laughs) listening to this podcast right now. What? Amazing. And Swapna... Uh, I discovered, stumbled upon your work uh, because you write at this intersection of like technology and gaming and mental health. Um, and I've also seen that, um, well, I mean, at least based on the picture of you and LeVar Burton on your website and your work covering Star Trek for Sci-Fi Wire, I'm just going to guess that you're a big fan. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going <laughs> to try and be like cute about it, but no, I am like an unabashed, diehard Star Trek fan. So. Oh my God. I just... So I feel like you're the first like Trekkie we've had on the show. And I just was, I, I am a big um, Next Generation fan. And um, I'm just wondering if you could tell us a bit about what the show means to you and, oh and why God. it's something that has been a passion so much so that you've sort of like built a career around it. I have. Yeah. Um, okay. So I may get teary while talking about it because Star Trek oh means a lot to me. Um It was kind of the first place as a kid, a person of color that I saw myself represented on The Next Generation through um, LeVar, who is Mm. a fantastic person and fantastic human. He's been such a friend. Um, And uh, it's so that's kind of how it started. But it also it's the reason I have the career I do now. I, Mm. as you said, right, the kind of the internet intersection of technology and pop culture and uh, space and video games and all of this stuff. And I try to draw upon with everything I do, the values that I like to say mm. that kind of Captain Picard taught an entire generation, like what it means to be a good person. And oh my I, gosh. I genuinely like believe that because I tried to put that, those values into my writing and the idea of be, it's okay to be enthusiastic. You don't have to be cynical, love what you love unabashedly and be enthusiastic and be earnest. And I feel like these are a lot of things society tells us isn't cool. And I'm just like, no, it is the coolest thing in the world to be passionate about something and want to tell people about it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I learned that from Star Trek and that's like the entire, that's like the entirety of what I do Mm -hmm. on like on the internet and everywhere else. I have what you said just made me think like when I was young, like 12 years old, 13 years old, I got really into watching Star Trek and um, just the character of Captain Picard being such a steadfast leader, but also sensitive and also um, inclusive and like 
I really felt like he was like a father figure or an example of a good man that like I never had. Yes. And I remember how deeply it affected me when I learned that Sir Patrick Stewart, the actor for anyone who doesn't, who for some reason does not know who John <laughs> Luke Picard is. Um, when I learned that he was someone who has suffered through childhood abuse yes. and domestic violence and is someone who retained his kindness and who is, is someone who like, like, like I think um, just as someone who's experienced childhood trauma, I, I at least personally, and from what I've connected with on others about it is like, you often feel like there's something wrong with you. Like you're the reason um, or that you don't deserve uh, good things or that you're destined to be just like your parents or guardian or whatever adult figure was traumatic in your life and seeing him as uh just the opposite of that was so so important to me and and you just you just reminded me of that so thank you (laughs) i'm glad have you seen that like video of like a fan like there's a video of him talking about this stuff Mm. at like convention because a fan asked him about it it is the it is the most moving thing and he's one of those people that Whenever somebody says, oh, you know, people are set in their ways in terms of inclusivity or you just can't expect them to know better because of their age. It's like, like, well, look at Patrick Stewart. Like Mm -hmm. you can expect and ask for better. Right. Mm -hmm. Look at this old white man who's still learning, still growing, never is done. If he can freaking do it and he's like almost 100, (laughs) you can't. Um, so Swapna, what's your personal history with video games? You mentioned that, um, you write this intersection, but what's your sort of personal history there? So I've been, I've been a gamer all my life. Um, it has taken a long time for me to accept that title because I always felt like an imposter and that I wasn't Mm. enough of a gamer to call myself a gamer. But, um, I have been a gamer all my life. I had the original Nintendo, um, the original, the Sega, um, and I did a lot of, I did much more computer gaming than console gaming when I was a kid, like King's mm. Quest 7, Myst, Riven, um, you know, those kinds of computer games. Oh my God, SimCity. <laughs> oh my God, so SimCity, yes. Much SimCity. <laughs> but so, um, I've always been a gamer, but I don't think I ever really started interrogating what it meant as part of my identity until like the last few years when, um, there was a lot of, you know, negativity in the gaming universe. And we, a lot of us, I think, stepped back and asked, like, am I part of this community? What does it mean? And so, uh, yeah, but I've been, I really, I've been a big fan of gaming all my life for a lot of reasons, um, including it just, um, and and this is a theme that runs through, I think, my written work, that it's an escape and it provides a very needed, you know, escape from real life in a lot of cases. Mm Mm-hmm beyond it providing an escape, like when you think about why you game, what comes to mind? Right now, it's just needing to turn my brain off. Mm. My, like turn off that, it's a, you know, there's so much, there, there's, it's just like the world is, it's hard all the time. And like, I don't want to, I don't want to say that like, you know, we're, you know, because it's been hard. It's been hard forever but like the last couple of years have just been and like you know i'm a new parent 
my son's two and a half. You know, mm. this pandemic started, he was 15 months old. So this has been the bulk of his life, like dealing with this and having, you know, me coming to terms with what I mean, who I am as a parent mm. and what this means for his life. Like this is his normal and just the pandemic has shaped a lot of my parenting. There's a lot of things I chose to do that I wouldn't have done had we not had it. And so there's a lot of that and that constant buzz going, the constant buzz that's going through your head. That's like, am I doing good enough? And uh, am I, you know, am I like, are these mistakes going to like trot? We we are all, I'm Mm. I'm of the opinion that we all are going to traumatize our children. Our parents Mm. traumatized us. We will traumatize our own children. It's just trying to do better and and like traumatize. I would like to traumatize my child in a different way. Like, and just so it's, but it's like, is this like where, like, I think being real about that is important as a parent because we're not perfect, but also like figuring out how to do our best and what that is and letting my son be the person he is. And my job is to figure that out and help him figure that out and be that best person, not any sort of coming from immigrant background. It was a lot of, for me, what I, um, like what my parents expected mm. of me and what mm-hmm. they wanted for me. And I feel so strongly about what I want for him is for him to be the person he is. Mm. Like that's it. I want to help him figure that out and give him an open you know, and childhood. And it's, it's so hard, you know, right now with everything. And so I think a lot of why I have, I think, retreated into gaming in a lot of cases. Um, And I think I would use that word retreating, because Mm. I need to turn those that off. And nothing is immersive enough. I'm in other times, I'm a huge reader, but like books are not quieting that anxious part of my brain. Um, And so video games do because it keeps my hands busy. It keeps my, you know, brain busy. And that's, I just, I need that enga- level of engagement. Yeah. And what's so rewarding about the engagement that you specifically get with games? I think it's, there's a lot, I think it depends on the kind of game, of course, but I think it combines a lot of what I love. Uh, mostly mm. I play um, kind of the action adventure style RPGs, I do some RPG straight RPGs, but just kind of that, you know, the triple A action adventure yeah. style game um, because there's so much of it. it. It's, I'm a huge fan of storytelling generally. And I think storytelling is so therapeutic and there's so much, you know, a Star Trek fan, like there's so much about storytelling that can speak to us and, and help us, you know, come to terms with our own lives or help us learn new things. And I think the best, Video games do that. Absolutely. They have some of the best stories, some fantastic storytelling. So there's that. But there's also just giving a lot of these games give you a choice in narrative, a choice, mm-hmm. especially these days, choice in narrative. Like you can control. It's giving you a sense of control when the world feels out of control. There's I think there's that. I think there's there's a lot of it. And part of it is just, you know, like the physical keeping my hands busy so I can't pick up a phone and scroll mm, doom, and scroll doom Twitter. scrolling yeah because that's what i do like when yes. when i'm watching tv i'm like scrolling uh, my phone constantly yes. and so mm-hmm. it's all, part of why i've almost for the most part stopped watching tv except for basically like three or four shows because i can't it's hard for me to engage with new things mm. because um the anxiety of not knowing what to expect but I don't have that, interestingly, I don't have that anxiety with video games because even if I play a new game and I don't know what to expect, 
I think there's, you know, there's a few reasons I don't have that anxiety, even though I'm just as invested in the characters and the story. And part of it is that sense of control. Mm. Um, part of it, I think, is that in a lot of cases, especially with these AAA titles, the story is a lot more drawn out than like one season of a TV show. So you have time to adjust to the changes. You can see the you can see the story coming and you can adjust to it versus a show like, for example, one of my favorite shows right now that I cannot watch is like For All Mankind, which is uh-huh. on Apple TV Plus. It's a fantastic <laughs> show retelling of, you know, kind of the space early space race. It's totally in my wheelhouse. Ron Moore, who did Star Trek Deep Space Nine, like so much. And I cannot watch it because I'm too anxious. It makes mm. me too anxious. So, and which is so sad. <laughs> so Anxious because like, are you scared it's going to disappoint you or that you don't want it to be over and then you don't have to watch it anymore? Or, I'm afraid like, bad things are going to happen to the people I love. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there's enough bad in the yeah. world right now. I just need, I need like flowers and roses and happy smelly or non, non, no, smelly is good. Happy, yeah. nice, rosy smelling things in my mm. entertainment. Like I'm just in a place where everything feels very difficult and like I need my entertainment to not trigger my anxiety. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Oh my gosh, what you said about um, the way games that give that sense of control and and, and the engagement in a different way from just reading a book or, or watching a show. That resonated so deeply. I am also someone who has like four comfort shows and it's so, so difficult for me to branch out. And as you were talking, I was trying to think too, like what it is. And it really must be that I keep coming back to the aspect of control. There's something about sinking into a game and the way it places you so deeply into the story. Um, And you're, you're not just a captive observer of whatever the whims of whoever filmed it and edited it and wrote it and how they want you to interpret the story. Like you have that avatar and you're, you're impacting and affecting the world around you in a way that is totally separate when you're, when you're watching or reading something. Um, I just love that. Thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. And it's like, it feels like maybe it's, it's also a little bit of like some, this is the person I want to be. Does that make sense? Like you can make Mm. a choice in a video game and just be like, I can be maybe a little bit better of the, of a person than maybe I am in real life because I can make these choices in the video game. And maybe the fact that I want to make these choices makes me a better person than I think I am, you know? Wow. Yes. I am the most <laughs> unselfish, unrealistic version of myself when I play games. <laughs> mm-hmm. The most noble version of myself. Yep. Wow. And I And I love the way that you kind of take that and turn it into an opportunity to realize that we do have the capacity for that inside of ourselves and games are a place where we can explore that in a high stakes environment that isn't always something that happens in your day to day in real in real life absolutely and i think like one thing that struck me is with you know the mass and mass effect legendary edition which is just mass effect is like was so so important to me it's such a like it's it's so transformative it was so transformative for me in a lot of ways but um i think like there's been a lot of interviews with the you know original developers and the writers and stuff like that and the revelation that like something like 95 percent of people did a paragon run was like i was just like oh like it's not just me because like i'm like (laughs) one of those people i was like i need like the light halo around my head Mm -hmm. like every single choice i have to make you know and it's just like and i was like oh Oh, it's not just me. It's, you know, no, like, cause I figured 
you know, people got their, you know, got like their aggression out by like playing this renegade character. And it turns out, no, we're all just little, you know, little sparkly humans who want to do what's nice and like have a smile on our face at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a way higher percentage than I would have assumed. Right? Um, and for the folks at home who may not be aware, um, there's two ways that you can play Mass Effect. There's like this morality system that's pretty much iconic um, from the game. And um, you can be a paragon, which is like um, a selfless, heroic, you know, uh, swapped, I mentioned the halo, um, just kind of like a, a good, the, being the good person, um, the good leader. Um, and then there's the renegade run where it's kind of like, uh, I guess like you could kind of say it's like a good cop, bad cop paradigm. Like uh, maybe a renegade is more likely to sacrifice things in order to get what needs to be done, done. Uh, maybe more ruthless, seen as more ruthless, but um, still a leader. I, I definitely want to dive more into Mass Effect, but before I do that, I wanted to take a beat to... Uh, mentioned that just while we're on the topic of of games in general, something that I really appreciate about your writing um, is how you really kind of advocate for taking it easy in games like Assassin's Creed Odyssey or Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us more about why you are such an unapologetic fan of easy mode. So the the short answer is I am. I love video games, but I'm not very good at them. <laughs> so that's the short answer. Like, honestly, it's just, for example, um, with, uh, like, Mass Effect we talked about, the first two games didn't really have an easy mode. And back when they first came out, like, my, hu- I don't remember if we were married then or just dating, but I used to ha- ask my husband to help me pass stuff. And it was really <laughs> frustrating because yeah. I couldn't, like, I just, I, I, especially shooters, I get very anxious when someone starts shooting oh my at gosh. me. And then I'm like, I, you see like the red that like it's yeah. like coming at you from this direction. Like, oh, yeah. And then like, I just like, I do the like, the like video game equivalent of just like dropping my gun and running away. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> I don't know there's somebody shooting at me. What am I supposed to do? So it's not just that like, I have, I am not very coordinated, which is also the case, mm. but it's like, it also just makes me anxious so I I have really loved over the past like decade or so the rise of easy mode for a lot of reasons. But I think just in general, I think allowing people I'm I am part I am very, very big on being inclusive. I'm very good on like let's if it's not hard to make it more accessible to more people, let's like, why wouldn't you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess uh, just mentality is if you can make something without a lot of effort more accessible to more people, why wouldn't you? And um, especially, and so I do say a lot in my columns, like it can be harder for independent studios that don't have any more, as many resources mm. to do like very detailed and intricate easy modes. But for these AAA titles, I think every, every AAA title should have a very easy mode because they can and they have the budgets and they have the capacities and these games need to sell really well to justify mm-hmm. their huge mm-hmm. production budgets. So why wouldn't you make them as accessible as possible to everybody so mm-hmm. more people can buy them? And it's not just like I am bad at video games, but for people who can't do rapid button presses or people who, you know, right. like making them more accessible to a larger audience is just, I mean, it's like, it is a no brainer for me. And it's shocking sometimes when I get, 
pushback on it because I'm mm. just like, I, I don't, I understand some, some of the pushback I do, I, I don't agree with, but I can at least see where it's coming from. But some of it, I am just like, you want it. Don't you understand that? Like if we can't expand the video game, the base of pe- video mm. game players, this industry is not going to survive. Absolutely. And if you want to keep playing the games that you love, you we need to expand the player base. The model is broken right now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get away from this entire binary of good gamers and bad gamers. Like, what does that mean? Why does ga- why does being a good gamer have to be synonymous with uh, having the most overwhelming and complex experience possible with a game? Yes, and there's not there's nobody. No, it's not like I'm saying let's do away with hard mode altogether. Of course, right? <laughs> it's like you can still have that. And you can still have your like, oh my gosh, I passed X on insanity yeah, mode, and absolutely. I'm like, okay, you do that, you do you. <laughs> Like, it's just, I, I like it. I, I am just, and maybe it's just, I don't know, like, but I feel like making things more inclusive can only lead to better places. Absolutely. Like, I have endless undying admiration and respect for people who play The Last of Us 2 on grounded mode. Um, like, <laughs> and this, folks, is when you play an incredibly hard and stressful game on a mode where there are very few items and health and ammo available in the world. And on top of that, if you die once, you need to start the game over from the very beginning. Is this the um, same thing as the permadeath mode? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. M- a friend of mine did that and he was texting me the whole time and I'm like, why would you do this to yourself? Like, <laughs> like I'm why? doing it. Like, why? Why? I don't, I'm like, just, just. I don't understand. Yeah. Like I, love that for you. Yes. Um, but let me live too. Cause I'm never going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. And I also noticed that a lot of your writing seems to be geared towards making gaming, like, like you said, more accessible to folks who are inexperienced with games or maybe more casual or time press gamers. And I was wondering what kind of relationship do you want to help people help people foster with gaming? Oh, that's lovely question. Um, I basically, I want people to not see gaming as something. I think there's a lot of the gaming community can be very difficult. And um, I think the idea of these like $500, $600 consoles can Mm -hmm. make people feel like there's a huge barrier to starting playing video games. So I think one of the things I want, I really feel strongly about is just making it seem like it's, there's not such a huge hurdle to like trying out a video game, becoming a gamer. It's actually one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of like Apple arcade. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Apple arcade is fantastic for a lot of reasons, but it, it just kind of lowers the, Bar, if you have an iOS device, you could play. It's a very reasonable monthly fee. And you have access to all these fantastic games. Um, but I think just like telling people you have a home here if you want it. And if mm. you are a gamer, if you want to be a gamer, that's it. Um, I think I mentioned before, it took me a long time to feel comfortable using that title because I do play on easy mode anytime. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I can. And I do play a lot of like cutesy, you know, Cozy Grove, Animal Crossing, you know, the cutesy, yeah. like sweet, wholesome type games. Because I mean, I, yes, I want to go, I want to go like fetch apples for you. Like, yes, I will absolutely go like around this island and do that. Like, <laughs> and because 
like I just that is legitimate and that is legit legitimate gaming like I was reading this and I feel so bad that I don't know the person's name but somebody had this like take that was um basically like I don't understand why people are like oh why you just go around and run errands for people that's not gaming and it's like what do you think going and assassinating this person in this yeah. game is that's running an errand for somebody it's just like yeah yeah and so it's just like it's the same thing and like it's just and so i i don't there's nothing legitimate or illegitimate about the yes. games you play any game is if you want if you play like candy crush on your phone and you want to call yourself a gamer do it like mm-hmm. more the merrier and you know, and I also want people to like play kind of what I call like gateway drug games. Animal Crossing is a big one. Yeah. Um, like just, just like, like come over to our side. It's a lot of fun here. You know, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Like realizing how much there is like yeah. that any one idea of what gaming is, is just a small fraction, like barely scratching the surface of all that there is to play and explore. Um, I love that. And so before we um, move on to the to the Mass Effect conversation, I did want to take a beat um, because a book that you recently co-edited uh, with Jen Northington called Swordstone Table, Old Legends, New Voices, um, just came out. It's an anthology of inclusive retellings um, surrounding of the vast lore surrounding King Arthur, Camelot, and Knights of the Round Table. Um, can you give us a taste of what folks can expect from the book slash what is an inclusive retelling? Yes. Okay. So it's 16 stories from all kinds of different authors, amazing authors, um, like Alexander Chi wrote a story, <clears throat> a retelling of Sir Gawain on the Green and the Green Knight set on Mars. Um, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, it's 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 just like Silvio Moreno Garcia wrote this like futuristic like like Lady of Shalott story like um uh you know if you want to see Arthur and Merlin kiss you can nice. do that in this anthology we do um, we if certainly you want, do if you want if you want lesbian questing lady nights hell yeah that story is in our anthology um Anthony Rapp wrote it who if you are a Star Trek fan you know from Star Trek Discovery and also amazing productions like Ren his career has gone mm-hmm. like been around he's been, you know he's such a huge um huge personality he made his fiction debut in our anthology um writing a story a Merlin story set during the 1980s AIDS crisis. Wow. I know it's, it was, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a doozy. Like it is so good. And just so like, Oh, his, the ending is just, and so like, that's the kind of stuff we wanted to, for people who, um, who love this legend to be able to be able to write the story they wish they had had as a kid. That was kind of the way mm. we approached people. And we're like, if you love King Arthur, what's a story you'd been, you wish you'd be able to read. And like, we didn't ask them to write themselves or their marginalization into a story because I'm not comfortable gatekeeping like that. Definitely. But um, if they chose to, and many of them did, that's fantastic. And so, um, yeah, we tried to, you know, like gather all these, you know, writers who wouldn't normally, you wouldn't normally expect to write a King Arthur story. And it's, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Um, I need this book immediately. So where can, where can <laughs> folks find Swordstone Table? Anywhere you buy your books. So it's on, you know, if you are an independent bookstore fan, you're into, you can probably, you could definitely get it on bookshop.org or order it through your indie. Um, Great. Barnes and Noble, I know is carrying it. Um, Amazon has, uh, carrying all the shelves. Um, Amazon, of course, has it. And so anywhere you buy books. 
on this show, we like to talk to guests about games that have had an impact on their life. Um, and you mentioned Mass Effect to us. Um, so just to kick things off, for folks who maybe have never played the game, how would you describe it in a couple sentences? Um, it is the uh, sci-fi epic that I had dreamed of my entire life in video game form. You know, just as someone who in general has their work at this intersection of technology, space and pop culture, plus, you know, you're a Star Trek fan, makes sense that you'd be a Mass Effect fan. Um, What do you think makes space such a rich setting for storytelling? I think because the possibilities are really endless and we right now still don't have a very good idea of what's out there. I feel like we're learning new things every day. Like the fact that you know, the things that we learn that we take for granted now, um, like exoplanets, planets outside our solar system, we haven't like, just if you think about like what we knew when we were, when, like when I was growing up, you know, this is a sensitive top. Some people feel very strongly about this, but like Pluto Mm. was still a planet. And then we learn Mm. more about, you know, the solar system, where we live, our place in it. And then, you know, change that because, that's, you know, we found a lot more objects like Pluto, basically, when we thought it was the only one. And so there's I just the things we learn and the things there are to learn. I think we all acknowledge that, you know, the world could be better. We could be better mm. about um, we could be better about the way we treat each other and the way we treat our planet. And I think imagining ourselves in a future where we've moved past those problems, um, you know, like Star Trek is very utopic in especially like the next generation. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have its problems. It was a product of its time. Like not trying to say that that is, you know, (laughs) you know, there are definitely some issues, but that being said, the idea it gives, we have the chance to think of ourselves as having grappled with these issues and come out the other side. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes I get like I think about space and then I re- I'm reminded how it's infinite and still growing and you just kind of feel like wild. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's it's something we can't like, especially I've been talking a lot about the multiverse because of Loki. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the Marvel Universe generally is moving to the multiverse and trying to like from somebody who, you know, I'm. I think the multiple reality, I think that the, you know, infinite realities theory is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I'm like trying to talk about it with a friend of mine. She's like, I don't understand. I'm like, you're not supposed to like, you're not, our minds Mm. cannot grasp the, the concept of of the, you know, of our own universe and how big Mm. it is, much less multiple infinite universes. Like, so do you think that Jeff Bezos is right? And we should shoot all of our trash into space. Oh my God. (laughs) that guy (laughs) this freaking guy (laughs) that guy let me tell you the billionaire space race is the worst worst. i mean that's actually part of the reason i got out of the day-to-day of covering space because i'm like i just don't Mm. talk about these guys i Mm -hmm. really don't yeah um so tell us more about your relationship to mass effect what does it mean to you So I think Mass Effect came at a time in my life where I really needed something to believe in. Um, Star Trek was that for a lot of my, um, you know, childhood and early adulthood. But then, you know, I think 2005, it went off the air and there was kind of nothing else Mm. for a while. 
And I needed something to, you know, the I'm a huge Star Wars fan too. I am not. Uh, it, Star, Star Wars does have the same place in my life that Star Trek does, but I still absolutely love it. Um, yeah, and, same. You know, I, that resonates. Sorry, and the, going. <laughs> the perf the the first, but the original trilogy was not what, or the sorry, the prequel trilogy was not what I'd hoped. And so, mm. like, I would, I was coming off that. I just, I needed something to like I needed something to believe in something to connect with because like I do put a lot of myself in the stuff I love like I I I I, I ask I I give a lot of myself I invest that's a, that's the word I was like I'm looking for a word I invest yeah. a lot of like myself and like my emotions into the things I love and so I needed that at that time mm. and that was it for me like mass effect just and like I go back and play the first game now and I'm like it's good but like it doesn't really get good good until like the second game you know but mm. I'm just like but I think then it was just like I needed something and this was it and so it's um it's it 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 filled that kind of space sh- I always say there's always a space shaped hole in my heart like mm. always and I that kind of filled this for me because it was this like sci-fi epic and I'm actually I was uh, I'm also really interested in that time period of like what happens after like like if we meet the first you know like alien race that's not like bacteria like and so i think yeah. the idea of the time frame of it really interested me too because like we just you know in the game humanity has met all these other like species of galaxy and we've just come off of a war we fought a war with the first and i think that's very realistic like yeah. as much as i love star trek the it, it is very i i don't know that i see uh, we're still very much in the pre-world war three era of star trek like just just I don't know. We're not, mm. we, we can't even get along with ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. and so it just, it felt very real to me. Yeah. Like I, I like how, um, I'll build on that context a little bit. Um, just in the world of mass effect one, um, it's like humanity has very recently joined this essentially intergalactic, uh, council of peers and um, some of which some alien species have been part of this, like, I don't know, lack for lack of a better word, like confederation for thousands of years. Um, And humanity has really just entered the scene. And the way that um, you sort of realize, um, like when you're in the game, um, you spend a lot of time in this big um, space station called the Citadel, um, where you see a lot of uh, interaction between all sorts of extraterrestrial species. Um, And as a human, like you're really struck by how small and weak and technologically in advanced you are in comparison to so many of these species. And that's something that I feel like is really, really unique. Like you don't really see that. Like in a lot of these shows, like you were mentioning, we've already gotten to the point where humans are like on the same page as, as these other um, alien species. And, and it just really sort of drives home how small we are. Like, again, coming back to that theme of, like, how small we are in the universe yeah. and how much there is to find. Um, I don't know if, if you had any – if that resonated with you at all, if there yeah. was anything you wanted to add there. Yeah, I just – I feel like – I think it's a good thing to feel small. Mm. I think um, I think it's a good thing to – to feel like we're part of something bigger and not the thing that's bigger, if that makes sense. Mm. Like we are not the thing that's bigger, but we can be part. Like, I think that's when, you know, generally people are at their best when they're all working together towards something bigger versus just deciding like, nope, we're it. That's it. Um, And I think one of the things I really like about just mass effect um, and the way they portray it is 
you know, not everybody's happy about Humanity. Humanity is a new kid on the block. And mm. there's all these ra- mm-hmm. there's all these uh, races, alien races that are like, why does Humanity get special treatment? And, you know, because the it's they're important our i guess importance in the game is outsized compared to how far along you know technologically we might be catching up quickly but we're a little bit the new kids on the block and i really like the the dynamics of the game are very complex and and they do a very good job like kind of displaying what it would like the, all the like interspecies tensions and the like stuff there's just it's just really interesting and it's not clean or easy it's like very messy and mm. it's it, it feels i don't know it just it feels like the best sci-fi you know that you read but i think and i'm sure that there were plenty of sci-fi games you know like halo like but i didn't play halo yeah i don't <laughs> so uh, like but halo is like a sorry example of a, yeah i'm sorry but it's a great example of a sci-fi game that so like there were definitely sci-fi games but this is the first one that like i really played and engaged with and it mm. just felt so like this is the best sci-fi story i have experienced in a long time and i'd all i'd been wanting that experience in a video game form and it was like finally mm-hmm. on that storytelling aspect um i wanted to read a quick uh, uh bit from an article by um there's a queer games journalist named kenneth shepherd and he wrote this article for fanbite on why mass effect still matters and he writes the Mass Effect trilogy is still special special after all these years because it takes people on the same journey but leaves enough gaps to fill that no one experiences or remembers it the same way. Every interaction and decision is colored by who Shepard was in your eyes, what motivations drove their decisions, and who was by their side. By the time I finished Mass Effect 3, the universe had been fundamentally changed by my presence, all in the name of a character who I decided was willing to do whatever it took to save the man that he loved. Through giving me the tools to express myself in this world, it was a game that gave me a chance to understand who I was in mine. And that's because it was a story that I was writing in tandem with BioWare. That singular way it allows you to paint that picture yourself is why Mass Effect still matters today. It influenced a decade of RPGs that would take pieces from it, but nothing like it has really come since. Creating a trilogy where your character, their choices, and their relationships all carry through is still a remarkable feat. Um, I have chills. Like I, I'm like I'm like I'm like experiencing chills right now because it's so that's so true. And I think that is the thing about Mass Effect that I love. That game belongs to every single person who's played it, and ev- mm. all those experiences mm. are unique. And a lot of games have given us choices since then. But no, I I agree with the writer. None like that. Absolutely, like none like that. The scale, the yeah. epic scale of mm-hmm. following through three games and imagining how that must have felt. I'm, I haven't even finished Mass Effect and I'm crying right now. Like- just imagining <laughs> how it must have felt in real time to, to play all three and, and it, like people write about how 10 years of their, a decade of their life has been defined by Mass Effect. Yeah. Um, what kind of, how many times of media can really have like have that kind of long term, like it's, you're living with it and inside of it. It's beautiful. And it's three games. Like, I talk about Star Trek 
having an account five series, you know, before the like its resurgence, which is now it's like five more series. But, you know, like movie, movie like, you know, Star Wars, the original trilogy, this huge expanded universe uh, before, you know, the prequel trilogy, the huge expanded universe of books and then the prequel trilogy. And then and like Mass Effect, it's, it's three games. Yes, there's some tie in stuff, but I've never I, I've, I've never consumed that. But like, that's it. Yeah. It's amazing, but it's also amazing that those three games, it's like, you know, 100 to 200 hours mm. of your life, like, at the same time. So I think that, like, just the scale of it and the amount of – and just the amount of love that I think mm. went into it. I don't know a lot about, like, you know – I have heard some great – not great things about, you know, Bioware and the the culture mm. there. And I don't know, you know, in specific details. But I will – what I will say – is that the writers clearly loved these characters and they loved the people playing the game because, you know, the little in jokes and the little things from like Mass Effect one that show it like Conrad Werner, <laughs> like it's this, it's this just like random character that you have these interactions with in the first game. He's a huge fan of Shepard. Mm. And then he shows up in the second game and the third game. And you could, <laughs> you could completely miss him. If you're not looking for him, you don't know he's there. And it's just, He's like, there are these little things and he's just like, he's just this guy and there's like five lines of dialogue and that's it. And, mm. but it's, 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 it really is. Um, it really is. It's just very well, honestly, at the end of the day, it's just very well crafted. You recently wrote a column for Wired about how Mass Effect um, has been really good for your mental health. I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could tell us more about about why that is. So one of the things that we talked about earlier was like nostalgia and rewatching old old you know series. Like right now, I'm in the middle of a Star Trek Deep Space Nine rewatch because when am I not? Let's be real. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just very hard to watch new things. So with Legendary Edition coming out, I was like, okay, I'm just going to replay these games. And it felt, it just, it feels comfortable and it feels right. And, you know, there's always the concern that if I'm not, you know, so you had Dr. Devin Price on a previous episode who, mm-hmm. I mean, I swear by lazy this does not exist it's a fantastic book i encourage everyone to read it Mm -hmm. yeah like it is it's like it's like back on my bookshelf in my backdrop like right um like it's 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 just it's mind-blowing it's mind also just follow devon everything they say is gold (laughs) they're great twitter follow (laughs) um but one of the things that it really it really like reinforced for me is how much i view productivity as I have to be productive in every single thing I do and my entertainment has to be productive. So why would I replay a game when there's like, mm. why would I, there, when there, I, I have like a list a mile long of games I've bought, but I haven't played. Yes. Why would mm-hmm. I rewatch a series? Because like, I have not watched a new series. You know, it's been a while, you know, Star Trek has been off the air. So it's, there's been and like, you know, Mandalorians done for the season. Mm. So I haven't watched anything new for a while. So why would, and it's like, why, why can't I, play something that feels good. Why can't I, you know, em- like embrace nostalgia because it's what, you know, it's the quiet my mind needs. And I think one of the things um, that I've been trying to explore with this wired column is not just, does it feel good, but is it, does that, when is the line between feeling good, good or not good for mental health? And so like, e- yes, nostalgia feels good, but 
is it counterproductive to, you know, immerse yourself in nostalgia? And like, I spoke to ex- an expert and he was mm. like, nope. You, if it feels good, <laughs> do it. It's like it is not counterproductive. Like video games are great for mental health, and if replaying this series is what's giving you peace, then do it. And like, I shouldn't need a mental health expert telling <laughs> me that playing video, but it's just that's the way my brain works, and the way like I think um, as an older millennial, I've been like trained at this point to like think of like okay if it's good for my mental health and i can let myself do it mm, you know what i mean uh-huh. like it's just versus you know just being like i'm, I'm trying ever since reading dr price's book i've been trying to get better about just being like nope this is what i want to do so i'm doing it like productivity be damned but it's a very when you've been coached in that your entire life and you tie yourself worth to how productive yes. you are which is like a huge like it's I don't understand, like, like, how did we get here? Right. <laughs> like, a little bit, like, why? Like, and it's just... Capitalism. It's, yeah, oh, it's absolutely. And it's such a simple thing in a lot of ways that the book does, but it's that, it's, 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 it's it just makes it so clear that, like, no, productivity is not good. Like, stop equating good with productivity. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of that. And I've been like, unlearn- through the and through this, co- the column I read at Wired, I've been trying to unlearn a lot of those things that I have told myself for years that like, you know, it's just like, I have a friend who compulsively consumes new media as her relaxation. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that doesn't, that's not me. I'm not that person. Like I don't need to watch every TV show. I don't need to watch every movie. Like I have the things I love and I'm happy to try new things, but it's okay if I'm not in a place where I can right now. Yeah. Like I, my brain has enough information inside of it. Like, especially with how com how common and how prevalent, like just constantly doom scrolling or taking in new information on social media or the news or whatever notifications you have, email, Slack, work, like there's just a constant onslaught. So I often feel like when I'm in my relaxation time, the last thing I want is novel information to be coming into my brain. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's just, I I feel the exact same way. And because and also part of it is just like there's so much new media mm. like mm. I, I think i read a thing that the, I, the netflix is releasing like a new like <laughs> multiple new things every single day and like it's so much content that no one can keep up with it yeah. like even like professional like people who like just constantly like cover streaming and watch netflix basically you know to do their jobs, I won't say they watch it for a living because usually you don't get paid for the time that you're watching media, just the time you're writing about it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just like, sometimes it's almost just like, it's easier to rewatch something because I know it's there versus find something new. And by the time I decide on something new, I run out of time to do it. Yeah. Right. I know how it'll make me feel if I want to feel a certain way. I know yes. what I need to do to get me there. Um, and I, f- I feel like what you were speaking on really just highlights the shame that's been so in- so deeply ingrained in us around letting ourselves engage with these activities. Like even now as an adult where 
I know that my parents are going to barge in and, and ask me why I'm being so lazy playing video games. Like if I'm on the couch and someone walks in the room, I still have this immediate like jolt of like, oh, I should look like I'm doing something other than just sitting here playing a video game. Or how long do, are they going to think I've been sitting here all day just playing a video game? Or yes. like maybe I should get up and do some dishes so that I can justify sitting here and playing a video game. And it's like, there's no one telling me not to play the video game. It's just me like freaking out about it. And it's like, why isn't playing a video game productive? I just saved a planet. So like, you're welcome. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. And I think it's like part of it is like what you just said, tricking yourself into, it's almost like I'm at the point where I have to like trick my mind into thinking like, yes, playing a video game is, is productive because that's the way I'm wired. And it's just unlearning yeah. that is as much work as learning it was. And so, um, yeah, and I I do absolutely agree. I've had to stop telling people like if they like text or call and be like, "Oh, what are you doing?" I'm not doing nothing. Mm. I am consciously making an effort to relax and de-stress and cope with the many things life is throwing at me. Not doing nothing. And like that's been a big like it's been hard because usually like if somebody like texts or calls and I'm playing a video game, I'll usually just answer it and stop playing the video game, but that's the time I said, aside to do this. I need that because it is like video games have become so important when, you know, we, despite what everyone, beside what it, people are trying to tell us, mm. pandemic's not over. Right. Not going to a movie theater anytime soon. Nope. So like, what, like, what are we doing? Like, how do we de-stress in our houses when we can't go anywhere? Mm. And like video games is a, that's a way for me to experience. That's a way for me to at least my mind to be transported somewhere else. And so like, it's become really crucial for me to have that time every day to play. And if I am trading it away, it needs to be for something that was equally relaxing or I'm not going to be in a good mood the next day. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not, I don't have the pay, you know, like I can, I can tell when I don't get my de-stressing time in. Absolutely. So after that, Thank you so much for joining us on Pixel Therapy. It's been an absolute pleasure um, sharing this space with you. Where can folks follow your work and keep up with what you're what you're producing, your projects and all of that? I spent a lot of time on Twitter. So <laughs> that's probably the best place. I'm at S Krishna on Twitter. Um, and I um, mainly, my, my writing these days is at Wired. So I write a column every other week. It's called Casual Gamer. And I try to uh, talk a lot about the um, intersection of kind of video games and mental health and, um, you know, anxiety, stress, all of these sorts of things. And um, I, yeah, so that's, that's mainly, and of course, you know, I'm doing a lot of book promo these days. So we've got some really cool events coming up. So yeah, you can find all of that on Twitter. How about your podcast? Yes, I do have a podcast, don't I? I told you. I, I, I said before this, I was like, I'm really bad at promoting myself. Um, I got I have you. a podcast called Basic Geek Girls, um, hosted, co-hosted by um, my best friend, Preeti Chipper. We uh, talk about what it is to be South Asian female identifying people in um, kind of within th through that lens, um, the pop culture around us. So we talk a lot about Star Wars and Marvel, honestly, but I, you know, she's fine. I've got her watching some Star Trek these days and she promised nice. she keeps threatening me with Supernatural. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I'm, I'm not, I've, I've only watched like two episodes of the show, but I'm a very big fan of the Supernatural fandom. 
because Same, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, it's so like, fun. We, she catches me up on what's going on every every like couple of weeks, and like it's it's fantastic. That is so funny because I I've maybe watched three or four episodes of Supernatural, but being a person on Tumblr in the mid to late aughts teen aughts like I know everything there is to know about uh Dean Castiel and Sam <laughs> I know I know like I just I, I've watched literally like maybe two or three episodes and just like the first two like I've never even watched anything with Castiel yeah but, yeah. <laughs> but I, you better know I know who he is I am very very well versed in the like interpersonality yeah, yeah all this <laughs> I love it. I love Supernatural for that reason. Because it's just, it's an entertainment in and of itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love fandom. Um, Swapna, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in. And we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month, plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Instagram at pixeltherapypod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to buttwhythopodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Thank you so much to Swapna for the recommendation this week. If you've heard it before, I do believe we we covered this side quest in one of our Patreon episodes, but it's always a good time to hear about it again. Um, the organization we're telling you about today is Stop AAPI Hate. Um, in response to the alarming escalation in xenophobia and bigotry resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic, the Asian Pacific Policy and Planning Council, Chinese for Affirmative Action, and the Asian American Studies Department of San Francisco State University launched the Stop AAPI Hate Coalition on March 19th, 2020. The coalition tracks and responds to incidents of hate, violence, harassment, discrimination, shunning, and child bullying against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the United States. Their website is full of resources as well as a tool that you can use to report instances of hate. Um, so definitely check it out. You can also donate um, you can find more information at stopaapihate.org. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. Bye-bye. Therapy.